Hey everybody and welcome to the 5 Bytes Podcast. I'm your host, Rory Monahan. The podcast, as always, is brought to you by my sponsors. Policy Pack Software, where you use Group Policy or MDM to remove admin rights, manage and lockdown applications, Java, browsers, and mitigate ransomware, plus more. And also by Goliath Technologies, who help IT pros be proactive and anticipate, troubleshoot, and prevent end-user experience issues, regardless of where IT workloads or users are located. And by Liquidware, providing enterprise-class management solutions for physical, virtual, or cloud-based Windows desktops. If you enjoy the show each week, you have them to thank. And now for some news. Emotet, which was first identified in 2014 as a relatively simple Trojan for stealing bank account credentials, is now one of the most prevalent cyber threats in the world today, according to the U.S. Department of Homeland Security. Since its early days, it has been reinvented as a formidable downloader or dropper that, after infecting a PC, installed other malware. The TrickBot banking trojan and the Riot ransomware are two of the more common follow-ons. Ars Technica reports that it burrowed its way into Quebec's Department of Justice and increased its onslaught on governments in France, Japan, and New Zealand. It has also targeted the Democratic National Committee in the United States. Emotet's success is the result of a host of tricks, a few of which include the ability to spread to nearby Wi-Fi networks, a polymorphic design, meaning it constantly changes its identifiable characteristics, making it hard to detect as malicious, fileless infections such as PowerShell scripts that also make post infections difficult to detect, worm-like features that steal administrative passwords and use them to spread throughout a network, And also email thread hijacking, meaning it steals email chains from one infected machine and uses a spoofed identity to respond to trick other people in the thread to open a malicious file or click on a malicious link. In February, Emotet suddenly went dark with no clear reason for doing so. Then in July, it just as quickly returned. Recently, ESET, the antivirus maker, has discovered a new state-sponsored hacking group named XDSpy. The group managed to go undetected for nine years, and ZDNet reports their main goals was reconnaissance and grabbing documents. Targeted countries included Belarus, Moldova, Russia, Serbia, and Ukraine. That is, according to ESET's telemetry data, but other XDSpy operations may still be undiscovered. He said described XDDown as a downloader used to infect a victim and then download secondary modules that would perform various specialized tasks. This prevented security tools from detecting XDDown as a malicious itself. The downloader was delivered via, you guessed it, phishing campaigns. These campaigns contained malicious attachments such as PowerPoint, JavaScript, ZIP, or LNK files. ESET said it also discovered that some XDDown plugins also came with time-based kill switches that removed them after a certain date. These two features suggest XDSpy prioritized stealth over persistence in an effort to remain undetected and avoid exposing its tools, a common tactic 
and modus operandi employed by many state-sponsored groups, according to ZDNet. ThreatPost.com, who are a very reputable source, have reported that phishing emails have been targeting voters in the upcoming U.S. election. The phishing emails tell recipients that their voters' registration applications are incomplete, but instead steal their social security numbers, license data, and more. Last Thursday, hundreds of U.S. organizations were targeted by an Emotet spear phishing campaign, which sent thousands of emails purporting to be from the Democratic National Committee and recruiting potential Democratic volunteers. Meanwhile, the U.S. election campaigns of both Donald Trump and Joe Biden were targeted in a slew of recent cyber cyber attacks, according to a report by Microsoft. This is just further illustration of how vulnerable we all are and all of our organizations are. If they can infiltrate these committees when they expect attacks to be coming, it shows how difficult it is for enterprises too. I know that some of the campaign teams, tech teams, have been very open on social media, and it seems like they've built pretty strong teams to combat against this, but still, it's a heck of a fight for them. And unfortunately, the common thread And the reason why I covered these three stories at the top of this week's news is the fact that our users are our biggest security hole. Social engineering and phishing campaigns continue to be very effective and with some really terrible results. We must remain vigilant and ensure to keep a steady education for our users. A heads up to Windows GPU display driver and NVIDIA display driver users There is a vulnerability or vulnerabilities that could lead to code execution, escalation of privileges, information disclosure, and denial of service attacks. These are pretty bad vulnerabilities, obviously, but the slightly good news is that an attacker would need to gain access and gain admin rights in order to successfully exploit these. BleepingComputer.com reports the vulnerabilities range from 4.4 to 8.8 on the severity scale. And they are listed as CVE-2020-5979, 5980, 5981, and 5982. NVIDIA urges customers to update their GeForce Quadro, NVS, and Tesla GPU display drivers as well as virtual GPU manager and guest driver software by applying security updates available via the NVIDIA driver downloads page. The company says that some users may receive Windows GPU display driver 456.41, 452.11, and 446.29 versions from their computer hardware vendors. Google this week launched a new product called Google Workspace, although some reports are suggesting it's merely a rebranding of the G Suite. Hey, but it's rebranding specifically to Workspace, so yes, Google is now in the group of companies with a Workspace product. But in fairness, with the G Suite, they already have a solid foundation to build upon for this. In the demo, they showcase the ability for people to quickly launch into group calls and meetings in their Workspace using Meet Now for collaborating in real time on documents with Google Docs. There's the task list feature, calendars, Gmail, and so on. Missing in the initial demos is access to non-Google applications like Windows applications. G Suite is great and all, but we need access to our other applications too. 
You may recall a few weeks ago I covered a story about a partnership between Google and Parallels, so perhaps Raz could provide this functionality, or maybe Cameo, who I believe have some tight G Suite integrations within their product too. I could see how this would be very attractive for academic customers and maybe for some small startups, but as of right now, there's nothing to turn the heads of established larger enterprises, in my opinion. But let's see what the future holds. It was another bad week for the cloud. Slack had a very widespread outage affecting those in the US, Europe, South America, and Japan. BleepingComputer.com reported a wide variety of issues ranging from channels showing blank screens, lag in messages being displayed, or errors when attempting to send a message. The issue went on for many hours. Slack's latest update showed they found a memory issue on a database server, and when spinning up a new instance fill in for support, they further created more instability. They go on to describe steps they took to try and correct the issue, most of which seemed to make the problem worse. They state they deployed a fix across all their servers in the end, but do not indicate what the root cause was and what the fix was, at least at the time of this recording. Office 365 was once again hit by an outage, third time in as many weeks. Those impacted were in the northeast of the United States, Midwest, and California. Microsoft stated that a recent update to network infrastructure resulted in impacts to Microsoft's 365 services. Plenty of customers are very frustrated by so many outages in quick succession, with CRN.com reporting people being unable to even get into their admin console in order to see the status updates, which I don't really get because I think the updates are on a public page, right? No login required from what I remember. Isn't it portal.office.com slash status? I don't think you have to be logged in. I'll have to check that. Bit of a strange week for Cisco, who lost a significant patent infringement case resulting in a payment of $1.9 billion. For any eagle-eyed folks on Twitter, you'll have noticed several people at Cisco announcing their retirements, which CRN.com also reported on, suggesting early retirement was taken by some as part of a $1 billion restructuring plan. Hopefully, they can achieve all the restructuring they need without layoffs. F5 Networks have introduced Shape AI Fraud Engine, or SAFE as they're calling it, which is a new software-as-a-service offering that promises to eliminate fraudulent online transactions that can sometimes bypass other security and fraud detection controls. According to ZDNet, the service uses artificial intelligence in order to understand user intent and block potential fraud before it occurs. Hopefully this proves as a useful tool in the security tool belt for F5 customers. Taro Alhanan tweeted this week that he found a new group policy object in the Windows 10 preview build 20.2.3.1 which disables Internet Explorer as a standalone browser. And just reading the description from the actual policy object, it states, This policy lets you restrict launching of Internet Explorer as a standalone browser. If you enable this policy, it prevents Internet Explorer 11 from launching as a standalone browser, restricts Internet Explorer's usage to Microsoft's Edge native Internet Explorer mode, redirects all attempts at launching Internet Explorer 11 to Microsoft Edge stable channel browser, and also overrides any other policies that redirect to Internet Explorer 11. 
If you disable or don't configure this policy, all sites are open using the current active browser settings. With a note, Microsoft Edge Stable channel must be installed for this policy to take effect. And the options are to set it to disabled never, always, or once per user. In a now deleted tweet during Citrix's cloud conference, it was announced PVS support may be coming to Azure. The fact it was deleted may indicate that it was a bit premature on their part. And unfortunately, I didn't grab a screenshot of the announcement before it was removed, but I'm delighted at the prospect. And actually, if I had grabbed a screenshot, I wouldn't really share it. I mean, it's out there publicly because the tweet was public and I believe it was announced at Citrix Cloud Summit, which is a public forum. But still, I guess they haven't got their messaging together yet. So for now, hey, teaser, it sounds like PBS support is, com is coming to Azure. Um, what that means and what form it will be in, we don't know. PowerScale version 2.8 has been released. And with it, it brings an ability for holiday dates that can now be specified to be treated as outside of hours. Additional tweaks to the dashboard user interface. You can control whether the script will scale machines outside of business hours. During business hours, machines can be spun up, but if not used, turned off again. This can trigger a large drop in machine numbers, which obviously is going to save you some money. And also machines that have been scaled on will now be added to the number of in-hours machines to stop the script, then powering them down prematurely if users do not utilize them straight away. In order to drain these machines, you need to set your out-of-hours time to be earlier on. And speaking of power scale, its creator, Lee Jeffries, was recently a guest on Doug Brown's great DABCC radio podcast. Lee is a sharp cookie and a top guy in the community. It's definitely worth checking out. And now this episode's scripts, tricks, and tips. Go-EUC.com, we're back with an excellent blog post comparing performance of Windows 10 version 2004 with the previous few Windows 10 releases. As always, I'm not going to blurt out the results here. That wouldn't be very nice to do. Instead, I encourage you all to instead check it out for yourself. And I'll share a link with this episode, which is episode 145. And you'll find it on 5bytespodcast.com. And you'll see all the comparisons and beautiful looking charts. Casper Janssen shared an excellent, and for me, a very timely article about why folder redirection is a thing of the past and getting set up with FSLogix profile containers, as well as some specifics around managing the new Edge and OneDrive, which is exactly in my wheelhouse right now, so it couldn't come at a better time, and you may be in the same boat, so check it out. Thomas Poplegaard shared an excellent blog post, which is a reference guide for those HPE Moonshot Edge Bare Metal customers who are interested in VMware Horizon. I actually called it a blog post. Really, it's a comprehensive guide. I shouldn't call it a blog post. It's like a reference architecture document almost. And it's essentially in everything you need to know if you're considering VMware Horizon on those platforms. So check that out. Xander Rosemuller shared a blog post on creating WVD image versions based on existing configurations all via PowerShell. So if you're interested in automating that, check that out. 
James Kinden shared a blog post on Citrix Workspace and Azure AD integration detailing the fact that there's some inconsistencies and issues related to the integration and what he learned with help over the last few months. So if you're having issues with like enumeration and maybe some other issues related to Azure AD, you want to check this out for yourself. On last week's episode of the podcast, I talked a little bit about the newly announced UPM container that sounds like an FSLogic-style profile container, but via UPM directly. And when you know it, James Rankin already has a blog post about it, so if you want to read a little bit more about it and get James's insights, you should check that out. Last tip is that the videos that were recorded during the excellent Virtual Expo are now available. So if you missed any or you just want to recap, go check those out. And finally, before I call it a day this week, I published a quick one-question survey on SurveyMonkey that I'd share with this episode of the podcast, if you don't mind. If you would have a minute to check it out and vote to help me choose who has the best team name in my Fantasy Premier League competition this year. The winner wins an Amazon gift card, and I'd like some democracy in choosing who the winner should be. So it's a lot of clever little puns in the team names. And best of all, it takes the responsibility off my shoulders for picking the winner, so you'd be helping me out. And hey, if you enjoy the podcast each week, I'd appreciate it if you told some of your colleagues about it or possibly rate the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Well, that's it for another week. Thank you all so much for listening.